Welcome to the Stoic Handbook Podcast. This is John Brooks speaking. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for being a member of the Stoic Handbook community and taking the time out of your day to listen to my podcast, read my newsletter, and put the ideas to practice to level up your practical wisdom. If you're a fan of my work and you want to support the show, you can sign up to the premium version of the Stoic Handbook Podcast. You can either do this directly from within Apple Podcasts or you can go on stoichandbook.supercast.com. When you sign up to Stoic Handbook Premium, you'll get access to my existing library of Stoic meditation and contemplation courses. I make each course about a specific emotional topic like negative thinking or anxiety, relationships, anger, etc., as well as workshops, exclusive Ask Me Anything sessions, and ad-free standard episodes. There's a seven-day free trial, so you can check it out, see if it's good for you. I'm always adding new content and I take a lot of time to craft my courses to make them as high quality as can be. One of the listeners of the Stoic Handbook Premium told me that they listened to my anxiety course over 50 times. People often like to go through them over and over again. So like I said, you can check it out, see if it's a good fit for you. It's this podcast plus a bunch of premium episodes, meditations, talks, workshops, etc. And I also open up the space for questions as well. If you want to talk to me and get me to record a podcast episode on a specific topic for you, that's what Stoic Handbook Premium is there for. Now let's go into today's episode. Over the years in researching Stoicism, I've seen great Stoic educators get asked the question, what is your Stoic daily routine? Or how do you practice Stoicism? What kinds of thoughts or meditations or journaling prompts do you use on a daily basis to live wisely with virtue? And sometimes I hear the surprising response of, oh, I actually don't practice Stoicism. I know a lot about it, but I don't practice it. Or you see individuals who claim to be a practicing Stoic, but don't really present any evidence that they are practicing it. Maybe they say that occasionally they have certain Stoic thoughts, you know, like one or two a week. But the question is, is that Stoicism? And is there a difference between learning about Stoicism in a textbook versus actually practicing it? training with it like a skill. And this is something that I wanted to ask Donald Robertson, author of Stoicism and the Art of Happiness, Verissimus, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, and other amazing Stoic works. So check out the question that I asked Donald here and his following response. I think you'll find a lot of wisdom and insight in what he says about this important topic. Do you think that there's a difference between someone who just knows a lot about stoicism from someone who is a practicing stoic you know because you know you sometimes i've seen speakers yeah. and they they you know they studied stoicism they give a lecture on it but then someone asks them like do you practice it and they're like oh actually no not at all um so uh, you know what what's going on there i like um i think maybe i mentioned that when i first started my, my first degree is in philosophy and so when I first got into Stoicism, I was kind of reading books by academic philosophers. And gosh, it seemed, this seems really weird to me now, right? Because the culture over the space of 20 years has completely changed in relation to Stoicism. So there was a time where it was mainly academic philosophers that wrote about it. And they would happily say that they just read the books and they never actually occurred to them to... I've, I've spoken 
to professors, like senior academics, to say, it never occurred to me that anyone would try and actually put this into practice, which seems really weird, given yeah. that the Stoics go on and on and on about how you're supposed to put it into practice, and that you know, Epictetus in particular rants at his students about how they're not to be um, pen and paper philosophers and that they should actually be living the philosophy, otherwise what's the point of it? So how is it that someone could spend a career studying this and then think, oh, I didn't think he meant that literally. Also, I don't know, mm. it seems really weird. But now it, I think it, it, it's become uh, fairly common for... Like most academics now, I think, actually realize that that's absurd. Uh, it's taken them 20 or 30 years. But they, they, they're now going, oh, there are loads of people that actually put this into practice. So it does seem a bit ridiculous to say that you would just read it and not do it. So sometimes people do still say that, but it's become less common. And yeah, like, you know, on the one hand, everybody that's into stoicism pretty much now is trying to put it into practice. On the other hand, I'm also kind of surprised. I think they, they, a lot, most people don't know how to put it into practice. So, like, um, the Stoics have many psychological exercises and practices that they use. And so I see there are like thousands and thousands and thousands of people around the world trying to follow Stoicism. But if you ask most of them what they actually do, they're usually, they're not really using the contemplative exercises or the techniques that much. Um, which still kind of surprises me. I think that's some... It's kind of like they want to put it into practice, but they're still not really sure exactly how to do it. There's loads of resources explaining it. You know, Stoic Week, we run every year, like 20,000 people or something, I think, have done that so far. And it, it tries to really guide people through and explain, mm. like, this is stuff that you would do every day if you were a Stoic. You do the view from above and contemplate your own mortality and ask yourself these questions. And like, there's, you know, like a bunch of specific things that Stoics would do to try and train their minds. Um, I think that's the next stage in the evolution of Stoicism is that people start to kind of really uh, become a little bit more kind of structured in the way that they put it into practice right. and they're more aware of the actual exercises that they could be doing. Yeah, for sure. I see that as a as something that is is kind of missing myself, and that like for some, I'm a constant like experimenter, and I'm always trying to kind of do things myself. And I'm definitely the type of person to like sit down and try and write like a a routine and use your view from above meditation. But some people they 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 just have a few books and they kind of get stuck on Marcus it. Marcus you know? Aurelius says he does a view from above every day. And, like, uh, I, I thought about this a lot. Like, the first book I wrote in Stoicism, The Philosophy of CBT, I tried to list all the psychological techniques. And there were about 18, like, different, distinct psychological techniques that they describe repeatedly. There's, like, hmm. a whole toolbox of different techniques. But, I mean, that's too much, right? So the problem is there's too many. So I would say you could choose different ones to focus on. Like, I, I would say cognitive distancing, in a sense, is the most fundamental but I, I my experience has taught me that probably the view from above is the thing that people kind of find easiest to do on a regular basis and i think like for most people who are like not really sure how to follow stoicism more systematically what it says just to just maybe do the view from above every day or like every every few days like because that alone actually is going to help you make a lot more sense 
out of a lot of the other aspects of the philosophy. I mean, like that's probably a kind of good enough starting place for the majority of people. It's fairly, I mean, you can even just listen to a recording, right? Or, yeah. you know, pretty quickly, once you've got the idea of it, you, you could just shut your eyes and, and think about the concept for a couple of minutes. Like every day, you know, it gets actually much, much easier with a, a week or two of practice, like most of these psychological techniques. So I think that's kind of, maybe we've overcomplicated it for people by right. kind of giving them too many options. We should just say, just do that. Just do that, buddy. You know, like, just to kind of get started. Like, you can't go too far wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> um, are, are you familiar, I presume you are, with the John Viveki video? view from above that he used your meditation as like the, the source for that. I didn't know that, but I've met John Verveke and uh, yeah. we, he spoke at our conference in Toronto. He's a, a psychologist at the university of Toronto. And uh, we did, I did the view from above kind of guided meditation um, at the, con- is maybe it's, is, is it the conference recording that you've, you're talking about or is it in another video? I just, I, he's got a video that is like titled the view from above. So he's talking specifically about that. And then he, I think he links to your I meditation. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I link, I yeah. I think, yeah. But, if you, if you yeah, haven't seen that, you can check it out. He's, he completely like, he understands the, the psychological significance of it. I mean, it's a really weird thing. When I first started talking to therapists about stoicism, the thing they were most interested in was the view from above. And I guess it's kind of hard to explain exactly why, um, but the only way I can put it very simply like this, that the view from above it is really easy to do, and it clearly has a psychological effect. So psychologists love that because they think that there's got to be, it looks like the sort of thing that should have some kind of therapeutic effect. It looks like a no-brainer to put it very crudely, mm. that you should be able to do some kind of outcome study on this. Like, out of everything and stuff, you think, this is it. All we have to do is make a recording of this, get a bunch of people to listen to it, compare it to a control group. Like, this is like, this should be a piece of cake, like, to do a, an outcome study. So I think whenever you're talking to, like, CBT practitioners or psychologists, uh, they, they immediately kind of get interested in it and their eyes light up. And also they're kind of thinking, how come we haven't already done research on this? Like, so I don't think it'll be that long before we see there already are studies being done on it. Um, mm. It's funny because a lot of therapists and philosophers will say, like Freudians for ages used to say, oh, you, you can't research this stuff. It's too, you know, like they'd be talking about Freudian analysis or Jungian analysis and they'd be like, it's too subtle. It's too subtle. It can never be measured. It can never be quantified. It's like, you know, <laughs> good on you, but, you know, but you, sometimes you kind of need to know whether something works or not. And some things are cool and philosophical and also stupidly easy to test. Like the view from above is like a godsend to psychologists because they're like, yeah. clearly, if you visualize things from an elevated perspective and stuff like that, that's a learnable skill. And it clearly changes your perspective dramatically. So it's got to do something. I mean, either it's going to kill you or it's going to cure you, right? <laughs> it's going to do something. So psychologists are like, you know, it's one or the other. Like, let's start testing it and find out which it is. So it, it really appeals to them. I mean, luckily, like, anecdotally, and in, from what little evidence we have, it looks like it's beneficial, like the Stoics thought it was. 
But, you know, I guess almost more importantly, it, it's it's easily testable. Um, so, I, I and weirdly, it's not part of CBT, really. Like, you know, there are some mm. kind of indirect or, like, things. But one of the things that surprised me when I was talking to therapists, they'd say, no, you're, you're right. Like, many of the things we do in Stoicism are identical to or very similar to things that we would do in broadly CBT-based therapy. But... There are there aren't really there's not a common technique that we use in therapy that closely resembles a view from above. It's like a major it's like a gap in the market. Like, you know, there's an obvious gap there in terms of the repertoire of modern therapy. And all the therapists I know are like, how come we're not doing this? Like, you know, it's definitely got to be worth a try. So I, I guess it's an exciting concept for psychologists and psychotherapists. Mm. Um, so final question for you. Uh, so if Epictetus, Marx Aurelius, Seneca, the, the ancient Stoics were transported into the, the current era, if they were just to look at the, the kind of culture of modern Stoicism, not any particular author or, or work, but just the kind of the overall landscape of modern Stoicism, do you think there would be any things that they would kind of disagree with or think that people are doing well or would want to inject more of something else into it? Like, how do you think they would interpret it? I think they'd, they'd, wonder, they'd want there to be more graphic novels. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't know. I've no idea. That would blow their minds, I think. They'd be like, what is this thing? Um, I'm not sure what they would make of that. Although, weirdly, as an aside, one of our main historical sources for Marcus Aurelius is a thing called the Aurelian Column which is a, a huge column that has this circular um, frieze that goes or spirals around it. And uh, that's sequential art. It's like a precursor of modern graphics. So they are, like, you know, actually, that kind of exist in Max Release's time. They would mm. look at us, it's a that's a big question and a really interesting right. question. Um, I think that there are a lot of things about modern society they would find kind of weird, I think they would think that we're very sheltered uh, from our own sense of mortality. That's, in fact, it's hard to know what to pick on. There's so many things. But yeah. I think one of them is that they would they would probably say, "You guys don't really are, are, live sheltered lives. Like you know, you don't really um, see people die. You don't look after your dying relatives. You don't. You're, you're like you're, you're not seeing infant mortality like we did." You're not serving in the military like at close quarters like we do. You know, like you, you guys are really sheltered from anything that reminds you of your own mortality. And I, I think that in that respect, they would think that we were um, missing something, um, that we were um, naive in that regard. They thought their contemporaries were naive in terms of burying their head in the sand about their own mortality, they're going to think we are far worse in that mm. respect, for the most part, I believe. Um, they would also think that we're um, stupid, uh, and they'd be right, because <laughs> for a reason that's... You know this idea of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah. Like, that in some areas people don't know how stupid they are or how little they know because they don't have the technical knowledge to be able to appraise 
their lack of knowledge. So, like, right. someone who doesn't know how to do basic arithmetic is not even going to understand when someone explains to them how they're getting sums wrong. Because they're like, I don't even understand the explanation. You know, like, I, don't, I don't know how to do addition. Like, I'm just guessing the numbers. And, and someone tries to explain how they're getting these calculations wrong, but like, not even the explanation's going on in my head. So they don't even know how little they know. And it's hard to, it's hard to explain to them sometimes. Like, so we know in modern society, compared to an educated, an educated Greek or Roman, um, where most of us are woefully ignorant and, uh, about rhetoric and logic. And uh, like they would think we're kind of thick as two short bricks in that regard. <laughs> frankly, like yeah. they um, they'd be like, "Do you guys not understand common informal fallacy? Like you guys keep on the they'd look at us on the internet and they'd think you guys are making the same childlike errors of reasoning over and over again. Like um, you know." They think our political debates are infantile. Um, mm. I mean, that these things happened in their time, but educated people were more cognizant of what was going on. So, like ad hominem fallacies, overgeneralization, causal fallacies, um, modal fallacies. Like you know, they knew how to reason, like technically, in the same way mm. that we know how to do a div- division and multiplication and stuff. That they knew how to use logic. And they they look at like what we were doing and think you guys are like you don't even understand like how to think straight. Like <laughs> it's shocking. They look at they'd have a field day with podcasts. Like um, I I think Marcus Aurelius. Joe Rogan did a podcast recently about how he, how he loves Marcus Aurelius. I think if Marcus Aurelius watched Joe Rogan's podcast, he he he. It would make him weep, like mm. the the level of stupidity on show and like you know crass ignorance and just like absurd, like illogical, like <laughs> reasoning on display and r- constant head banging against the wall abuse of the causal fallacy when talking about things like research on COVID vaccines. I mean, Marcus mm. really doesn't even know anything about scientific life, but he'd understand that, that you know, the, the sort of shoddy reasoning that's on display immediately, I think. Um, yeah. like ancient philosophy, Epictetus, like ancient philosophers studied dialectic. They, they trained, Marcus spent decades training in rhetoric. And so when you train in rhetoric, you, you, you understand, you learn how to manipulate people mm. And it, rhetoric and, and logic are two sides of the same coin. So you, you, when you learn logic, you learn how to spot logical fallacies. And when you learn rhetoric, you learn how to exploit logical fallacies. Like, mm. you know, it's the, the two sides of the same thing, right? And Marcus had trained for decades with the leading thinkers of his era in logic and rhetoric. So these guys are way ahead of us. Like, in wow. terms of, you know, it's funny because we normally think of progress in the sciences. Yeah. But, wait, I mean, even if you're a philosophy graduate, you, you know, you do, like, you know, a few classes in logic and you, you, you employ Socratic method and philosophical reasoning kind of, like, for a few years and seminars and stuff like that. 
nothing like the the level at which ancient Greek uh, and Roman philosophers were doing it on a daily basis for decades of their lives. They would wipe the floor with us um, easily in that regard. And they would watch Joe Rogan and they would watch CNN and Fox and all the other garbage that we consume and think that it was amazing that we'd taken such a step backwards and were now reasoning like, you know, we like idiots. Like they 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 think we'd regressed compared to them, um, <laughs> and had become imbeciles. Like, <laughs> on it, I'm, that's my honest yeah. opinion. Like, I really, honestly, if Marx was was here today, he'd he'd look at the internet and think, how did we end up being so stupid? Like, how come these people can't spot? Like, you know, the 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 use of sophistry. Like, don't, has nobody taught them? Like, you know, how to spot overgeneralizations and arguments and black and white reasoning and, you know, all these kind of things. We, the mm-hmm. internet's full of people, like, using the ad hominem argument and stuff, like, politicians do it all the time. Like, but uh, Greeks and Romans would just laugh at that. Like, but we, we've fallen, we've regressed back into, like, being duped by it. So they, they need, logic needs to come to our rescue. Like, you know, that, that really is one of the main weaknesses in modern society. You know, I think everyone's aware that political discourse is is like a a, a car crash, right? It's got a dumpster fire, right? Mm-hmm. On yeah. on social media, um, I think it's fair to say. Um, American political and and Britain, most countries, not maybe not everywhere in the world, but like political debate is farcical. Um, I you know I I think like the ancient Greeks and Romans would have a lot to say about that. I mean, they, they had to deal with these things, but they, they understood what was going on around them. Like, they weren't as gullible as they think we're gullible by comparison. I'm sure of that. Wow. Yeah. I feel both, uh, dumb, but also very inspired <laughs> to, to go and start looking at logic and rhetoric. So we, yeah. the, the basic thing, the, the starting point, I think it's almost like logic. I think is taught a little bit back to front. Like, we just need to learn about common fallacies. Like, most people actually are in, start looking at philosophy and learn about things like the ad hominem fallacy. Yeah. So you see in debates, people will go, somebody will follow an argument and they'll go, well, that guy's a Nazi. Like, and you'll think, well, hang on a minute. That doesn't mean to say that the thing that he said, like, whether or not that's true. Or, or nowadays, it's like that politician's a, like a pedophilia or something like that or like whatever. Like, so insults are thrown, accusations mm. are thrown at people that detract from the content of what they're actually saying. Like, and people will reject an argument based on who said it rather than yeah. whether or not the thing that they say is logical or there's evidence for it. Like, so that's the ad hominem fallacy, right? Um, it's all over the internet, like, on a, like, hour by hour basis. Like, so I think, you know, just kind of spotting stuff like that is more important. Like, the help, by the way, medical, like, any cognitive therapist, we, we, it's evidence-based practice, we, so we're trained and we, we have to read research studies. Like, the media exploit a fallacy called the causal fallacy every day in reporting uh, medical research. And, you know, like, that, they, um, they confuse correlation and causation. Like, it's their favourite thing to do over and over and over again. I, as an aside, I'd say to people, look at, like, 
look up causal fallacies and, and look at the fallacy of confusing correlation and causation. It, it's fairly simple. Like, but, and then you'll see like the, a lot of the health reporting, like the reporting of medical research is garbage. Like, and it's just ex- distorting and exploiting information in order to freak people out. It's a big problem for public health in our society. But I don't think the ancient stories would have understood that because this is a problem more prominent in, in relation to modern scientific research. But it's a big problem in our society. Like, um, we're, we're, we're being fed, uh, not just misinformation, but like, like it's like these guys are saying one plus one equals three or something. Like, the, the stuff mm-hmm. they're saying is just completely nonsensical, but it happens over and over and over. Joe Rogan has a career built out of doing this, pretty much. Like, you know, he's not the only one, he's just picking on him because he's the, the biggest one, right? But like, there's loads of other people. The media's full of it, like, you know. Tabloid newspapers have been doing this for decades on a huge scale, but it's time that people became more educated about basic misinformation and, and health research, um, I think. So that's one of them, like, you know, that people should arm themselves. So the Stoics thought we have to study logic in order to defend ourselves against misinformation. Like, that was their argument for it. The Cynics didn't study logic. And then the Stoics' argument is, no, well, the thing is, if you don't study logic, then you're vulnerable like, mm. to, to people uh, manipulating you with, like, rhetoric. Like, you know, you'll you fall prey to sophists then. Like, so at the very least, you, you need to understand enough to protect yourself. Um, that's really part of what ancient philosophy was about. But that aspect of it uh, is kind of almost defunct now. I love that frame. Logic is sort of psychological self-defense. This uh, yeah, is a really powerful one. I hope that you enjoyed that, took some value from it. A couple of quick things. If you can leave a rating for the podcast wherever you're listening to it, that really helps new people find it. And I also love reading reviews. So let me know what you think about it. And if you want to go further and get access to all of my premium meditations and audio courses, ask me anything, workshops, etc., consider subscribing to Stoic Handbook Premium with a free trial, either directly within Apple Podcasts or over at stoichandbook.supercast.com. It's the same thing, just two different ways to access it. And I'll see you back here for the next episode of the Stoic Handbook Podcast.